Todd McCarthy of Variety calls this movie a seamless, pulsating, dazzlingly visual revenge fantasy that stands as one of the most effective live-actioners ever derived from a comic strip. Peter Rayner of the Los Angeles Times says it's like one long fright night. Even though it was photographed in color, the edge of darkness atmosphere descends on the audience like a shroud. And Jay Boyar of the Orlando Sentinel says, as exploitation's pictures go, I've seen a whole lot worse. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we determine the fate of the crow. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters! It's time for Rune Childhoods, where my brother John and I come and ruin your childhood, or actually talk about how Hollywood could best avoid ruining your childhood. So, um, my name's Dan. And hey, and I, I'm John. John. We don't want to ruin anybody's childhoods. No. FYI. No. The opposite. Yeah. So, Dan, before you, you're holding your finger up, so I'm, like you want to say I, something, I got to well, say something wanna, too. What's up? Go ahead. Oh, so I'll start, well, because my story has to do with the greeting Starfighter Okay. phrase. Does yours too? No, mine has to do with the last episode, but you go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, the other day, and it, it must have been not long after we recorded the last episode, I was, um, so I was, I was going outside, going out to you know, try out the new lawnmower. Got a new lawnmower. Congratulations. And thank you. No, I was excited about a good deal and everything. You know, it's another story for another time, but, um, maybe not. Go on. Yeah. No, I, I got a bargain. Anyway, ooh, when we, ooh, um, let's do lawnmower, man. And then you can talk about it. Oh, sweet. Okay, cool. Um, that's the best way to get me to stop talking about something, by the way, is just tell me we'll talk about it with another movie. So um, I'm walking outside and I turn on my my headphones that I'm that I wear when when we record the, the podcast. And I guess my Bluetooth connected to the computer and not my phone. So when I hit play, all I heard was the beginning audio of the last file, but like my my connection wasn't good. So it was all it was great, great, greeting Starfighter, great, great, greeting star. And it sounded like the Starfighter machine the in the last Starfighter. When, game. Yeah, like when it starts like fritzing out. Well, that's special. I was like, wow, that's amazing. For anybody, so cool. For anybody who doesn't uh, know, or maybe you're listening to this show for the first time, this is a podcast about a movie, uh, movies that are either cult movies or classic movies, and we kind of discuss uh, what would happen if they were to be rebooted or given a sequel or a prequel or remade. Um, and one of the episodes that we did... Uh, uh, a movies that a movie that is very near and dear to our hearts, and for me, my skin because I have a tattoo about this yes. movie, um, the Last Starfighter. Uh, that's where the greeting Starfighter comes from that we say yeah. at the beginning of the shows. So, and and likewise, uh, 
you know, because you, you, hopefully you'll make it to the end of the show where we will wish you a good journey, which if you're not familiar with the 1987 cult classic Masters of the Universe, another one near and dear to our hearts. Not I, John, do you have a Masters of the Universe tattoo? Not yet. I do want to get the cosmic wow. key. I love that answer. It's I been love on so my, much about on my that answer. list for a very long time. But uh, wow. that would be a pretty cool one. So um, what I wanted so anyway. to talk about was uh, about our last episode, the movie Summer Rental starring John yeah, Candy. Yeah, Summer Rental. Um, yeah. So one of the things that we talked about a little bit and actually played at the end of the episode is the score to the movie, which is this little like... Uh, yeah, it's the, it's the same music that you hear in... I'm sure it's also in like Weekend at Bernie's and you I know, w- yeah, yeah, like any movie Definitely. like that where it's like very, very familiar. What's up? Every time, I, and every time I start to hum it, it's funny. I start to go into the theme from the TV show Parker Lewis Can't Lose Her, <laughs> which well, I think is how it went. <laughs> so I, I feel like we didn't do the the proper service by actually investigating that. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that before we start getting into anything else for this episode. So um, it was written by Alan Silvestri. And if anybody isn't familiar with Alan Silvestri, he did the scores for pretty much all of Robert Zemeckis' films. Uh, He's also done like, Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War, The Avengers, Captain America, The First Adventure. Um, oh, Alan the, Silvestri has scored so the many Back to movies. The Future movies. Uh, well, Robert Zemeckis movies, Back to the Future, um, Forrest Gump. Uh, in is also scoring the the upcoming Robert Zemeckis remake of The Witches. Oh, I heard about that. Just well, to tie I, it or- into what we do on the show. I would, or, or a re-adaptation if he's going back yes. to the source material. Right. So uh, I also want to mention that Alan Silvestri scored the fantastic movie Father of the Bride, which I'm sure we will talk about at some point. Um, a movie- Oh, he scored The Long Kiss Goodnight? That's true. He also did fantastic. a movie uh, that- Dan, this is going to send us into a bit of a a, a long discussion. Uh, a movie called Tiger Man, um, and this movie Tiger Man has nothing oh, to do Lord. with the Tiger Man that Dan and I are borderline obsessed with. Um, one time when I was living in Philadelphia, Dan came to visit, <laughs> and we happened to be watching uh, this public access channel uh, in search of. Um, this show called Grand Hank, which is this guy who teaches science to kids, but it's all very like urban. Like there's a graffiti backdrop and it's got this kind of hip hop theme to it. And oh, Grand Hank wasn't on, yeah. but there was this program on about this guy, Tiger Man, who basically goes to different schools and teaches anti-bullying messages. And his slogan is raw, R-A-H, reject all hate. And it is this guy who's this like kind of just like a South Philly bro who dresses in this like tiger kind of superhero-y costume to do his yeah, thing. Yeah. 
yeah, it, he kind of and like he's got this wig on where he kind of looks like the predator. Yeah, it's like these weird dread type things. Which also scored by Alan Silvestri. That's right. So, so um, anyway, I wanted to quickly mention the Tiger Man thing. Uh, Alan hey, props Silvestri- to Tiger Man, by the way, because he's doing good work in in Philadelphia. Seriously, like hopefully still. I don't know. We haven't caught up with him in a while. I believe. You know, I'll be honest. Every now and again, I kind of <laughs> you know check up through a him. little Tiger Man. You know, Google Tiger Man and see what's going on. And, you know, I think he's still, you know, Hey, if you are, if you live in the Philadelphia area and you know, kind of what's going on with tiger man, shoot us an email at ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, or like, Hey, get us in touch with tiger man. Yeah. Um, cool. Alan Silvestri also scored the movie that we're going to talk about at the end of this episode, as it is our next episode's, Film. but we're not going to get into that right now we'll talk about that later um, yes but we've got a few Intrigue. different we've got a few different um reboot uh news bits to talk about but one thing yeah that um i think just kind of slipped through the cracks and on my radar i don't know when this was going down until i went on um apple trailers today while i was uh eating lunch just to kind of click around see what's going on and Dan, I had no idea that they are doing a Jacob's Ladder remake. Oh, yes. You know, I saw that and I neglected to mention I I didn't see the trailer. I just saw, you know, every now and again, when I look at like upcoming releases, I happened to see that. And I was like, is that like that's a remake of the Adrian Lyne, Tim Robbins classic? Yeah. So I watched the trailer and it's. Yep, it's a guy who comes back from war and it's a you know PTSD <laughs> guy who sees demons and uh this one seems to be a little bit different. I think that there's an element of like his brother died but then his brother's back and there's just all of this different new element with a brother uh but yeah, I I mean I watched I watched that trailer and I was like I don't know if I remember Jacob's Ladder all that well, but I'm pretty sure it's the same exact thing because I didn't I had no idea that it was a it was being remade. I didn't even know that anybody was thinking of remaking that. I mean, I guess it makes no. sense. It's still a story that can work in any time period. It, it can, but man, and I I watched Jake the last time I watched Jacob's Ladder. It was definitely within the last, if not five years, definitely within the last like seven years. I. I rewatched Jacob's Ladder and it's a I think it's a pretty powerful film. It messes with your head. It's not easy to shake. It was like I had to watch it in the afternoon. It was one of those where I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to watch. I need a palate cleanser after this. I need like, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I need to watch like the naked gun after I watch yeah, this. Right. So <laughs> or or something with. Tim Robbins, that is uh, like, like the, the Hudsucker Sucker proxy. proxy. There you yeah, go. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. So, I mean, um, and Jacob's Ladder is, his co-stars Danny Aiello, mm-hmm. um, lovely gentleman who I had the opportunity to work with once as a production assistant. Right. And yeah. And it, but the, the style of it is so, 
And I think, and, and this is actually, it's a topic that I've been, you know, doing some thinking about. And actually the, um, the crow made me think about this is that Jacob's ladder benefits so much from being shot on film Uh because it really, it puts you in this misty dreamlike world. And especially because it's not like that clean film. It's that like the, I think the movie came out in 1990 and so, and, you know, Adrian Lane, Lyne, whatever, right. um, you know, he, he tends to light his films um, pretty, I would say, darkly. He uses shadow, if I, I remember correctly. And I feel like that movie also has a very, like, Terry Gilliam vibe to it. You know, just a kind lot of, of, like, bizarre angles and... I don't know. It's, At least that's the impression. And the makeup I, it's, reminded me a lot of like Brazil. It's a Terry. If if Terry. So if you think of Terry, some of Terry Gilliam's trippier movies as like good trips. Jacob's Ladder is a bad trip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Freaking out, man. Yeah. No, um, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a it's a pretty messed up movie. But I think really like brilliant and kind of an overlooked classic because it's not the easiest to watch it's not something i would recommend to everybody right well if you're listening to this podcast you probably like it that's enough jacob's ladder talk um so (laughs) disney plus Um, is planning to reboot uh home alone and the night at the museum series that's another thing that's happening um are they rebooting john what john what do you know about this not much do you know is this movies series my, I mean, I feel like it's, I think that it's supposed to be series. I think. I don't know. It's all some very of that new I could information. See, like Diary of a Wimpy Kid, I could see where, and I guess these are all properties that they, that they got from Fox. Yeah. Well, Night which, of the by Museum, the way, I could see being a series. Night of the, oh yeah, I was going to say Night of the Museum would be a fun series i feel like there could be like you know something in each you know it could be something where in each episode there's a yeah it would be a fun like kids series like there's a historical problem to solve and you know whatever character you know ben stiller's character or whoever the the guy is the security guard is now you know he's got to solve this it could almost be like a where in the world is carmen san diego and you have to find clues using your your friends in the museum I don't know. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, <laughs> that, that's what I would do. I, I do. I do have to say, though, mm-hmm. like l- looking at and seeing how Disney is really like kind of they're they're really like going through the Fox properties and like doing whatever they can with what they have. Yeah, I'm, I just I had this vision of walking down main street USA in Disneyland and passing the characters and like, Oh look, there's a predator and like, Oh look, it's Cornelius from planet of the apes on that horseback. And (laughs) like just a whole planet of the apes section that you go to. Like we always say, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, The other, the one other bit of reboot, well, I guess not reboot it's sequel information um uh-huh. coming to America the number 2 uh yes. has signed on Wesley Snipes to join um Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall 
That's ex- do we know who Wesley Snipes is playing? I don't believe so, but I mean it's a sequel, so I, I think I'm sure I'm pretty sure it's a sequel, right? What I'm I'm oh man, I'm like I, I'm like armchair whatever writing. What if Wesley Snipes? What if they almost like parodied Black Panther and like Prince Akeem comes back to like you know reclaim the throne um and but then like his half brother oh, uh-huh. who had left um oh uh, what's the name of the the country in coming to america it's not wakanda i'm drawing a blank no but like what if wesley snipes plays the half brother who <laughs> who comes back i don't think that's what they'll do but but if that's what they do you heard it here first I mean, every time they cast an actor, we know it's one less character that Eddie Murphy will be playing in yeah, or some Arsenio type Hall. of disguise. Yeah, or Arsenio Hall. And uh, John, one more one more thing to note is that the upcoming Adams Family right. reboot uh, has a new trailer out. I, I saw that it was there. I haven't watched it. So what's really cool and what really got me excited about this is the the new trailer shows that the Adams family moves into their their house, their new house in New Jersey. Hey, all which, right. Which for those of you who either know Adams family history or learned it from listening to our episode on the Adams family, uh, the Adams family was originally created by Charles Adams when he was living in Westfield, New Jersey, which is where uh, uh, partially where we grew up. Yeah. And or really where we grew up. And well, yeah, um, for the first two years of my life and what, eight years of yours, something like that. Well, well, yeah. And then we moved one town over. Right. So, Same yeah. Thing. Anyway, um, so we um, it, and I don't know. I, I doubt that they like actually moved to Westfield, but uh-huh. I'll be interested to see how much just from like watching it. I was like, that does kind of look like I mean, it like downtown Westfield can look like a lot of downtown you know suburban downtowns so uh but i was like oh that's really cool i i felt like that was the first time that an adams family show acknowledged those roots yeah that's interesting so i so I thought I thought that was cool. Um, you hear a little bit more of Oscar Isaac's take on it, which is cool because he really uh, goes much further with the accent uh-huh. than um, Raul Julia did or John Aston, who th- they really didn't do accents. They did their Raul thing. Julia a, li- a little bit, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I like you know Oscar Isaac is kind of doing his own thing with it, and I think it it's hard to shake you know Angelica Houston and Raul Julia, but um, they were just so great. I, we don't have to keep talking yeah. about this. We've talked about it plenty on the on our Adams Family episode, but man, they yeah. were so good. Anyway, so that's but that's uh, so that's that's exciting. I thought that well, was a nice trailer. Speaking about creepy and kooky and spooky and ooky let's talk about the crow (laughs) yeah let's talk about the crow yeah (laughs) so Um, this was my first time watching the crow and i and i know that there were many sequels uh one of them that had i think kirsten dunst in it Um, uh crow salvation that was the the fourth one or something it's the third one um 
I haven't seen it, and I forget. I think Eric maybe is is the crow in that one. Yeah. So, okay, this is the plot of the movie The Crow. There is a mystical crow <laughs> that can uh, raise a body from from the grave to seek vengeance after their murder. If if something so heinous is done to them, if something so yeah. awful is done, the crow does not take them to the the afterlife or just to the land of the dead. The crow lets them come back to, to handle their business. Yeah. So in this case, um, Eric, who is the person who is brought back by the crow, uh, he is killed by this. These this kind of like mob esque street gang of gutter punks that are controlled. They're controlled by this. I don't know. It's kind of like a mob bossy kind of person. He kind of. I think he owns the property, the building that he lived in, and like owns a lot of properties around whatever city this is supposed to take place in. And, Detroit. Uh, it's that's right. That, that's right because they do mention Motor City. So yeah, it's Detroit. This yeah. guy owns a bunch of property there and has these. Interestingly, thugs because they um he filed a he like made a complaint about the building or something. Well, his his wife um fiance his wife, w- wife? was or, yeah or um fiance. fiance fiance his fiance was kind of the head of the board of like you know the, the like, HOA stay out of our. Build. Yeah. Um, so and the and, and I'm I'm drawing a blank on the villain's name, but the actor who plays him is Michael Wincott, who mm-hmm. from 1991 to like 1996. His, just his name is Top up. Dollar. Oh, Top Dollar. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I read I don't have it with me, but I was reading the the graphic novel because mm-hmm. I'd seen the movie several times and hadn't but had never uh read the comic or read the graphic novel so i wanted to kind of see the source material and see what you know like how close is this adaptation and what you know kind of what does the what does the better job storytelling i guess so to speak so um and I did. I I could. T- I can fill you in a little bit on the sequels after. I figured let's talk about the original. But I could. Yeah. I did a little research on the sequels and watched a little bit of of uh, the second one, Crow oh, City gotcha. of Angels. Yeah. So um. So anyway, so Eric is engaged to Shelley, who is the um other person who gets killed. Uh, she also gets very violently raped and essentially tortured by this gang. Uh. Yeah. Eric gets uh, shot and then eventually falls out of the window of this building and plummets yeah. to his death. And well, uh, and that is the scene when Brandon Lee, who plays Eric Draven, was shot. Yes. By a an empty shell that was left in the barrel of the, the prop gun. Yeah. It's an interesting story we won't tell go into all the details but it's inter- it's worth you can look up into it see. but yeah uh yeah that's what this movie is probably most famous for <laughs> i'd say and um it's 
so okay the the plot of the movie right so yeah. uh what's interesting is that it's one year later because it happens on devil's night the night before halloween and it, i guess a year has gone by his body has not decayed even a little bit and the crow has decided <laughs> now's a good time to get this guy back up here and um there is this uh this child who has be, who is friends with Shelley and Eric and has kind of become friends with um, Ernie Hudson's character, who's the cop, who used to be a detective, but then has been downgraded to a, a yeah. uniformed officer. Officer Albrecht. Albrecht, right. And uh, yeah. she is the daughter of this junkie woman who is in with that gang um, that killed them. They're kind of... They're kind of like, I guess if you're going to make a a comparison um, (laughs) to another fictional Detroit gang, it's almost kind of like the the like RoboCop, the uh, the gang in RoboCop. uh, Yeah, kind of. Boddicker's gang, kind of, but like younger and on different drugs. Oh, yeah. And they like to listen to Stone Temple Pilots. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, John, there's a lot when, when I, you know, I'm still curious to hear your thoughts on the movie and uh, your summary of the plot, but you know, I'm going to go into a deep nostalgia dive with this. Oh, of course. And, right. Yeah. So anyway, the, this crow brings back Eric, uh, who goes through his kind of realization and dealing with everything that happened, uh, sees a, a clown mask on a, on a wall and decides I'm going to paint my face that way. And, um, just kind of goes around and one by one picking off all of the, the <laughs> goons. What's up? I should interject. It, it, it's more of a, of a Harlequin for those who really, who aren't familiar with it, which, uh, anyway, Fine. it's more, not, not quite like a Bozo, the clown or, or Jocko, the clown, if you will. Um, <laughs> Shout out, mom! But more of a more of a mime, more yeah. of a mime look. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to really go into this too seriously because, I mean, I did not really enjoy this. There was a lot of things about this that I thought was a little ridiculous, um, <laughs> and maybe had I seen it around when it came out, I would have been more into it. But it's hard to watch it and take it too seriously like things about like oh one year later a crow does it like they don't that's not really explained uh also in the crow sequels the only things i know about them are from what i see from like the posters and they have the same look to them and it's like how do they all have the same look well, it's that's how the crow people. chooses who to bring back is is pe- only people who have that mask yeah, hanging right. on their wall. Yeah, so it's yeah. kind of weird. And um, the 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 goons discover that there's been this crow that's been going around, and and he can see through the eyes of the crow. Uh, very Game of Thrones, or Game of Thrones is very the crow. Oh yeah, he's he's like the three eyed raven. Yeah. So um, the three eyed raven is uh, kind of going around and finding the people and he sees where they are and he gets to them by doing parkour over buildings. And um, yeah, and he can't be hurt. 
and they discover that he can't be hurt unless the crow is hurt. So mm-hmm. if he gets shot, then the bullet hole disappears and, or whatever. They discover this because of what's top top dog was that his, his top Michael dollar. Wincott's top top dollar because top dollars like quote unquote sister who does like creepy like I don't know magic shit. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of Bi-ling. figures and she like oh biling right and she collects people's eyes. Yeah, she's weird. Yeah. <laughs> she weird. Um, yeah, yeah. Best so, way to put it. Anyway, that's essentially the plot of the crow. There's and then it's like he does his thing and then goes back to the grave. That's it. Uh and then p- perhaps he then decides to start decaying. I don't know how bodies work. Just saying. Well, that's generally what they do, but who knows what being revived by a mystical crow does, yeah, does they don't really you. go into that. Um, it, I there's more things that I want to say, but I feel like they'll play into my thoughts about the crow's afterlife, if you will. So, uh, mm-hmm. Dan, what did tell me what you think about the crow? Um, having read some of the graphic novels and and seeing some of the sequels, uh, what's your take? Well, John. First, let's answer the question on everybody's mind. Yes, I remember when and where I saw it for the first time. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, That's true. So, uh, yeah, but no, I i mean, I was a junior in high school when this came out in May 1994, uh, a little bit over 25 years ago. And, you know, it was one of those, like, it was in those days of, like, wow, I am just going off with a bunch of friends in a car that one of them is driving and we are like, you know, it's like freedom. And um, so we went to see The Crow at the the Blue Star. Oh, wow. General Cinemas, which I've I've mentioned uh, previously. Um, it's also where I saw uh, Tim Burton's Batman, <laughs> which... It, which kind of it figures in because I think uh, Batman really opened the door for the crow. Mm-hmm. So um, especially in terms of of style, but also uh, like darkness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I remember seeing it and I, just, I think I was on like a quasi like one of those. Is this a date type Uh-oh. things? Yeah. Um so, which I think I felt like realized, I'd like, I don't know, way after the fact, you know, I I think it was, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was, I would have needed uh, like a mystical crow to come and tell me I was clueless. But um, the movie was, was, it was huge because not only you, you had the son of Bruce Lee and like this movie was going to make him a star and then he was he was shot and there was kind of the question of well like all right is this movie going to even come out is it going to be any good and i don't necessarily remember seeing trailers but i remember i mean i remember that uh the stone temple pilot song big empty uh was a huge hit and it was from that soundtrack and that that you know, that soundtrack was really, it was like, 
so many like it was like nine inch nails right. and like all like the like the really darker goth side of alternative like the cure and it it's it like culturally it was it was a big deal mm-hmm. and it was just like this cool kind of almost counterculture like violent visually like stunning weird movie and like yes it's a it's an adaptation of a graphic novel but is it a superhero movie no no uh, no it's you know the crow is this dark like he quotes the raven edgar Allan poe's the raven which <laughs> i will get to the the big question in a moment but um you know it, and and so much of the the mood of it and it is very like Poe and very dark and so much of Draven's dialogue, which by the way, this Eric's is a Draven. big, yeah. That's, um, yeah. the crow. Um, so is he the crow or is the crow, the crow, or is, is this a Frankenstein crow? and Frankenstein's monster type <laughs> thing? Or Maybe. no, I, I think whoever the crow inhabits is the crow, gotcha. whether it's Eric Draven or Ash in Crow City of Angels or I don't whoever. Man, is your name Kirsten is Ash. Dunst. You're going to be summoned by the crow. That is oh, a seriously, crow name. you are begging for it. Um, so especially if you have like long hair right about down to your shoulders and you've got a Harlequin clown you mask Harlequin hanging on your wall. You're going to be you're going to be. You're going to get crowed. You're getting crowed, boy. You're getting crowed. Um, So anyway, getting back to kind of the cultural moment and going to see this movie. I mean, I remember it was packed. Um, Movie theater was packed. And it was like, it was like one of those things that I I personally haven't experienced in, in quite some time at a movie theater where just like the whole audience is like as like it's a hive mind and like we're all really hype and like it was either that first Friday or Saturday night that it was out and like then it it starts and you see like you know Brandon Leakum and everyone knew like what scene yeah. it was that he was shot during and it and it you know at the time it was a like it was just a really cool movie and it was cool to like I and I remember like really liking it and I remember th- and of course like I view violence differently now like I was I was trying to watch it um, the other day amid you know reports of of shootings mm-hmm. in 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 America and it was you know I turned it off I kind of was like you know yeah I I think I you know remember the movie well enough to talk about it and but it was hard to watch because he's just. You know, it's not like the crow j- is is just using his, like martial arts. Right. Like he's he's like there's a lot of shooting in this, and I, I'm I think I'm I think I I'm becoming a little de desensitized. To oh that. yeah, I I yeah. haven't yet seen uh, John Wick Chapter Three, but I keep on putting it off because. There keeps on being these shootings where I'm just like, I don't think I can watch a gun heavy movie not right ent- now. It's not inter- it's not it's not entertainment and it's it, like 
but credit to the crow, lots of knife yeah. and sword play. So it's got that oh, going for it. Well, def- definitely, definitely. And the, I thought the action was great in the crow and and the visuals. And this is where it comes to that idea of uh, like film and shooting on film. There were and this was not a, a high budget movie. Um, I'm not uh, quite sure exactly what the budget was, but, you know, this was not a big budget movie. It was released by Miramax, um, I think, under the Dimension label. Mm-hmm. And that feels right. It, and and like you you can tell watching it like there's a lot of use of models and stuff but like Alex Proyas the director I believe he's Australian uh, the dire- director who made the film I think finds a way to take that aspect of it and make it a part of this world that he creates and you know and it's not quite like a comic like i think originally they wanted to make it in black and white right. and make it look much more like the comic book and i i i picture kind of a, a sin city type yeah. look and that and and you know it's like hey that might be a cool way to go about it if if they were ever gonna like do a re-adaptation of it but he uses color very well and especially like fire and the image of when um when the when brandon lee and eric draven leaves the the crow and gasoline and lights the match and you know it it just flames up the image of of the crow Mm -hmm. um another skillful thing i think that they did so so um I'd like to talk a little bit, uh, actually, and, and to talk about Alex Proyas, he made another film, uh, 1998, called Dark City. Have you seen that oh, one, Oh, Dark John? City's great. Yeah, yeah. Dark City is really awesome. I, I And after that, Alex Proyas, he did some other, made a Nicolas Cage flick called Knowing, and... Um, oh, man, I feel like I, I'm... I'm forgetting there was another one that he did. Uh, but Dark City is really a masterpiece. If Dark you haven't City's seen it, crazy. check it out. It's really good. Yeah. Um, but that's another, but, but like you, the style is, I, and I, I don't think that he would have achieved that had he not been shooting on film and lighting for film and using models and, yeah. and like, actually the, the opening sequence, which is kind of flying through Detroit, where you eventually land in their apartment, um, it actually reminded me a lot of the beginning of uh, Dick Tracy, where it just like yeah. feels very comic booky and very, you know, noiry. Uh, I mean, in this one, it's a little bit different because you have like buildings that are on fire. It's like, what is going on and- in Detroit? <laughs> And you've got the Graham Graham Ravel score of like the rather than the like you know, yes. <laughs> as yes. much as I love Danny Elfman, he wouldn't have have fit. Uh, so, but also, oh, go on. Um, oh, I just wanted to touch on kind of some of what I noticed between the graphic novel and. The um, and just to comment also on the graphic novel and I, uh, I was I was reading it and I looked at um some some images I'll show you I 
um, took some pictures here, so I'm showing mm-hmm. John. Uh, I'll post some of these on our Instagram so you can see the comparison. So I'm looking at like some of the the drawings here and some of the the animation, and you know what it really kind of reminded me of. What's that? Was the animation from the Aha video oh, take on me? Very much so. Yeah. And I was like, that's so strange because I was thinking about the story of Take On Me. And in the graphic novel, Eric Draven is a is a mechanic. And I think in the video for Take On Me, the the protagonist is also a mechanic. And, you know, he's being chased by the evil mechanics. When were the Crow graphic novels made? Uh, 93. Oh, so they were, okay, 90s. Oh, so, interesting. Uh, take on me predates the crow. But, Very interesting. Um, yeah. So I, but other than that, I thought what I really saw in the graphic novel was it was kind of like the graphic novel, even though I think it was published in 93, the, the feel of it is much more of that like eighties goth. It's Robert Smith or Iggy pop. Yeah. And it's the movie is 90s. The movie is so it's very grunge, 90s. 90s. Like there's this one scene where like, you know, Brandon Lee is like smashing a guitar and it was like, man, that's Kurt Cobain on like SNL or whatever, wherever mm-hmm. or any concert he did where he smashed equipment. So I thought it was so I thought the movie was was very appropriate for its time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the graphic novel, you know, not as much. And and the crow in the graphic novel looks much more androgynous. The the crow in the graphic novel, the artwork reminds me a lot of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Yes, yes, that's what I was. Uh, th- yeah, absolutely. Um, I would. I'd be interested to see Neil Gaiman uh, <laughs> do a crow. Do yeah. Like, do a crow book. I mean, I, I don't know. That guy's he's, he's creative genius. He's kind of beyond the crow. And then the other, but the other thing, I think it would be fun. He'd be do it. He'd do it for fun. Um, the other, the other, I guess, thing with the graphic novel and the movie is in the graphic novel, uh, Eric Draven is a is a mechanic, and in the movie, they change it to him being a, a songwriter, yep. that he's got a band, which not only is very 90s, but actually explains why all of a sudden he's extremely eloquent and verbose when he's the, reciting when the, the raven. Yeah, reciting the raven, which, which when he did that, that was when I had to pause and um, I... Because I was like, wait a second. So ravens and crows are they? I could like, are they the same thing? I didn't know. So um, I consulted the expert. I consulted Alexa, and I conducted an interview with Alexa, which I'd I'd like to cut to now because she had some some good insight. And according to Alexa, crows and ravens are very similar. There are some difference in their migration patterns, their their flocking, if you will. 
uh, and some slight physical differences. I think that there's a beak difference. There's a beak difference, yes. But it's really, there. at least from Alexa's tone in how she explained this to me, there was a very minimal difference between a crow and, and a raven. So I, I think we can kind of let them off the hook. Also, the, the theme of the raven is um is kind of that you know is someone has someone returned from the dead he's right. he's hoping i think it's his 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 lost love he thinks it's his lost love yeah lenore in in embodied in in the raven and quoth the raven nevermore well there you go and quote uh, Neil Gaiman, never wear. Excellent book. <laughs> oh, well done. Um, so what I want to know is, and it's possible that as somebody who's a lyricist and poet in their own right, did he already know The Raven or did that come along with being part of The Crow? <laughs> is that like The Crow just like knows... The Raven, and when you free are free downloadable content, yeah, when you are embodied by that crow, like you just know it. Well, it's funny. One of my uh, so it's like, I was, so I I wrote um, this. I'm just going to read my exact note because this is just me kind of I don't know snowballing here. Is in in the graphic novel, there's no explanation as to why when Eric is reborn as the crow, he is suddenly very eloquent and poetic. Perhaps the crow just speaks through his body and the crow is actually Edgar Allan Poe. No. So, <laughs> so my, my theory while, while watching this was that like, so the crow actually might be a Raven and that Raven might be Edgar Allan Poe. So I, <laughs> whatever. Prequel. Sure. Maybe. Uh, well then, yeah. I mean, along those lines, what would you do with the crow? Um, so I think that it's kind of, so, um, basically one of the reasons why none of the sequels featured the character of Eric Draven was there's a lot of respect for the, the memory and legacy of Brandon Lee. James O'Barr, the creator of The Crow, became very close friends with Brandon Lee mm. and in general, anyone who's worked creatively on the property has been respectful of that so that said if i was going to do a either a a remake or or a new installment i would really consider either like an animation almost like a i'm, I'm imagining almost like a rotoscoping not not quite but i would consider animation or um, you know, as we discussed, kind of uh, in the style of Sin City, perhaps it could, you know, it could be a Robert Rodriguez. Right. I could see, I mean, you know, I don't know kind of, you know, where he's at these days as far as his work goes. Didn't he just do that Alita Battle Angel? Was that him? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So, which um, I hear is pretty you know, good. He, that's what I've heard. Yeah. So, I mean, and. I think, you know, Rodriguez can handle this kind of action. I would definitely uh, tone down the guns. 
Um, but I also think, I think with, with animation, it's, you know, just like we talked about with the Adams family, you're kind of, you're a little more free to, to go in different directions with the characters and you can have an actor voice Eric Draven Mm -hmm. and have that actor not be, you know, it, it can be okay that that's not Brandon Lee because you're not physically presenting another person as Eric Draven. You could draw it and you could, and I would suggest, you know, match the style to the, to, you know, to the original book. Right. Or, or if you're going to have someone new, you know, draw it and add and adapt the drawing, then draw it like Brandon Lee. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know what uh, you have. You have any thoughts? Well, here's what I would want to see, and in in my explanation, there will be some changes that reflect the issues that I had with this film, The Crow. And I mm-hmm. understand that this is all part of the, you know the graphic novel adaptation, but doesn't necessarily need to be that way. Um, I think it would make a great series. Um, where each season is a different person being taken taken over oh. by the crow to to right a wrong, and um, what's up? Oh, I'm I'm just just spitballing off that idea there. Um, the it it's almost like you could have it more of more as like a supernatural detective series where yeah. they're kind of trying to solve they're they're trying to solve their murder they're trying they're trying to solve you know whatever it is but it's not like in the crow where he comes back and he's just like oh yeah i've got my list and he's like yeah. he's like Arya stark and like all right sure sick boy yeah. top dollar lots top of dog. game of thrones connections here so tintin so um yeah kind of like goth tintin <laughs> Und- and then have but, no, but but then just have and then each season would be someone different someone different mm. oh, and also cool. they should be wearing at least to begin with whatever they were buried in um because it seems like the crow in addition to having the you know harlequin mask uh makeup also then just wears all black and is mysterious and no i think he actually he finds he, that's not what he comes out of the grave no wearing. it isn't but he yeah he finds a pair of shoes in a dumpster but all of the other crow movies they seem to be wearing like all black and it just seems to be like part of the look it's like hey i'm gonna look like a crow now it's missing the important exposition that batman returns has when michelle pfeiffer comes back to her apartment and like you see her putting together the catwoman suit oh totally you just don't get that yeah you're just like oh okay that was convenient yeah i had that in my closet but yeah no that okay yeah so cool so that would be um well and maybe they only have a certain amount of time to do it before they go back yeah seriously because a year later, that body's going to be in bad shape. And, <laughs> well, well, but also, all right, Eric Draven, he comes out of the grave, I think, without a shirt on or without any clothes on. And it's like, are we to expect that he was buried in the, in the buff? Well, maybe his shirt decomposed. 
Okay. The the crows mysticism doesn't different time, John. doesn't have any effect on uh, cotton. So um, yeah, a year later, and cotton completely decomposes. <laughs> so um, yeah, that that's what I would do. And also, one thing that bothered me about this. Oh, what? I've I just I had a question for you. Sure. Do you have do you, like who do you have in mind creatively to put? behind this i you know i hadn't really thought that out but one thing that i did want to just mention quickly is that it bothered me that it was eric who was brought back by the crow and not shelly why not shelly why did it have to be the guy does the crow not work with women anyway that's what i want to know well, on on the show, you, it doesn't have to, you know, that's a right that, could that's a wrong that could be righted. Exactly. It could be anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I there there are so many talented people out there uh, creating television shows. I, I couldn't pick, you know, who did I, I think that, would you um, do- I think that I would want somebody like Jordan Peele to maybe ex- like produce it. You know, be kind of okay. the watchful eye over it, but uh, I right. don't know. It could be anybody. Um, but I, I, th- I think we do have to mention that there were a lot of efforts to bring to to uh, to bring back the crow in 2008. Stephen Norrington, who did Blade, was uh, planning on bringing it back, um, allegedly in a more like realistic, almost documentary style. And then in, I know, I'm as confused as you are. And then in um, 2011, uh, Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, I can't, I don't know if I got that name right, who did 28 Weeks Later, which I think is a smart person to bring this on. That movie was pretty creepy. Um, was brought mm-hmm. on the director for a remake. Uh, and that one was going to, the, the names for the stars for that one were Bradley Cooper, or uh, Mark Wahlberg, Channing Tatum, Ryan Gosling, maybe James McAvoy. Um, and then it just got kind of moved around. There's been a lot of different ones. Alexander Skarsgård was in talks to do one. Tom Hiddleston uh, was in talks to do one in 2013. It's just been kicked around for a while. Adam Driver? Um, actually, there was one with Jason Momoa that was supposed to be coming out this October. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah, apparently Sony was going to be uh, remaking The Crow, and it apparently, according to, oh, yeah. let's Corin see, Hardy Variety. as a director um, who yeah. did The Hallow. Yeah, so this thing has just been kicked around. Nicholas Holt for a period was oh. in talks, uh, which I could totally see. Um, and let's see, uh, there was another one where Kristen Stewart was being considered for the part of Shelley. So I don't know. It, where Shelley would come back, maybe, because I could see Kristen Stewart. Oh, by the way, I saw the trailer for the for Charlie's Angels. I think it looks pretty good. I, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I have to say, I'm not one who normally finds Kristen Stewart very likable, but I think this role for her, like, really, I don't know, she's very charismatic in this role. Oh, I think she's pretty great. Um, did you see Runaways? 
The, oh, is that the one, um, Joan Joe Jett? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I yes, she I was, was very pretty good great in that. In that. I don't know, yes. she's pretty good. Yeah. I like her. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I I would be fine if they they kind of let the crow be. Though I have to say, I do I like your kind of anthology series idea, or I guess not an anthology series, but a uh, yeah, just a a series. You know it. It seems to make sense. Um, I don't know. It's because like it's the it. kind of thing where it doesn't matter. It It's not going to be the same person every time. It's going to be whomever the crow decides is worthy. You get to go to well, different like, locations. There's you a get lot to of switch things. A lot up. of shows. A lot of shows are doing that now. True Detective, Fargo, right. all shows that kind of take do take the same concept. But apply it to totally different sto- uh, characters and settings. Yeah, and, and, and you can do it lines. in any time period. Oh, that would be co- Victorian, prehistoric. I don't know why a prehistoric, <laughs> like a, what a caveman. I'm just thinking dinosaurs. It's just all dinosaurs. <laughs> there's like no crow dinosaur. There's no dialogue. There's no dialogue. It's just roars. And uh, and just, nine inch nails music and well of course yeah all right so anyway that's that's what I got well for John all right now earlier in the episode we mentioned that we were going to be and and uh, by the way I don't think we mentioned what our our kind of deal next week is it's it's exciting it's a first for us yeah we we did talk about it a little bit but we're we're going on a family vacation. Uh, for anybody who's new to the show or doesn't know us, Dan and I are brothers and we're going on a vacation yeah. with our, uh, our family to celebrate our, our mother, the aforementioned Jocko the Clown, uh, our mother's 70th birthday. So, um, I can't let Chloe hear that. She'll never, <laughs> Jocko the Clown came, Jocko the Clown entertained at my daughter's third birthday party and... Um, I, she, it's, you know, it's, there are two different people according to her. Right. So we're going to keep it that way. Anyway. Um, yeah, we're going to be, uh, away on vacation and I am bringing my gear and we are going to record a bunch of episodes, including the, a film scored by Alan Silvestri himself, Soap Dish. Yeah. Um, a, a favorite I would say both of ours. So Soap excited Dish to is an awesome movie. Yeah. I'm excited. Absolutely. If to you haven't it. seen it, if you haven't seen it, um, check it out. It is currently streaming via Hoopla, which if your public library is affiliated with Hoopla, then you can, it's like renting the movie from the library without leaving your couch. So, right. uh, so check out Soap Dish if you haven't seen it before or if it's, a, if it's been a while. And uh, if there's anything that, that you're curious about, you would would like to, to hear us chat about or that you'd like to chat about with us, shoot us an email at runechildhoodspod at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram at runechildhoodspod. Yeah. And John, anything else? Um, any other projects coming up for, for you? Any other projects coming up for me? Well, you—I mean, I, you know, you're you're busy with projects, you know, for the Portland Art Museum. 
Oh, you know, just the usual. The Portland Art Museum podcast is going strong. Um, that that one is my I have to take this seriously project. <laughs> the, the only podcast where are I, you saying? Are you saying you don't take this seriously? Dan, I take this very seriously, but I oh. uh, there are certain things that I say on this podcast that I can't have said on a museum's podcast. And I would imagine that one of those might be good journey. Oh, who knows? Good, good journey. Good journey may come up. We'll see. True. I'll try yeah. to sneak it in. But, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you could be referencing something. You could say, oh, yes, they had a good journey. That's, West. You'll just have to wait and see. Subscribe. Pioneers. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, good well, journey, Dan. Uh, uh, good journey and aloha to you. Driving faster.
Say goodbye to me today.